My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. I think that by the mid this year, if not by April, we will be having a approximately 30% correction across the board in equity markets globally uh, and in base metal markets. I exclude oil because um, we could see quite soon a resurgence in oil prices because of what's happening in the Middle East. And here is another reason to uh, voice caution for the first half of this year. And that is, there are ominous ominous signs that the situation in the Middle East is about to escalate. So you add the two to when that happens, then the Fed will be forced off its platform And by mid-year, probably early in the second quarter, we will see the Fed being forced to liquefy the system and to lower interest rates. On this episode of the What the Finance podcast, I have the pleasure of welcoming back Simon Hunt. So Simon, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast today. Pleasure. So during our last interview uh, in August last year, you talked about concern about the economy and risk of a depression in the coming years. Has any of the recent positive data uh, changed your perspectives on this or do you still think this is the path forward? Not at all. If you look beneath the hood of the data, things are not so good as they're being made out to be. Look at the increase in uh, fourth quarter GDP. Then look at the increase in debt. And what it's basically telling you is that for every, I've forgotten the exact number, for every 1% increase in GDP, you're actually um, having to spend 1.55 in debt. So we come back to what is actually driving the economy. Uh, Is it real growth? Or is it debt-driven growth? And unfortunately, again, when you look under the hood, what's real inflation? I think the number, the GDP deflator that was used by BLS for the fourth quarter was 1.5%. That's down from 33 in the third quarter. But again, what is real inflation? Because ever since Arthur Burns in the 1970s, different administrations have altered the methodology of calculating CPI so that real CPI today is significantly higher than what the government says it is. Um, 
John Williams of Shadow Government Statistics actually takes all the workings back to when Arthur Burns, who's the first to manipulate the data, so that he goes back to using the formula um, that preceded Arthur Burns. And the real CPI today is running at around, I forget the exact number, but over 8%. Then you have the Chatwood survey, which is a survey done twice a year, uh, covering 500 items that households regularly buy in 50 towns and cities across America. The last completed survey was the first half of uh, the last year. And what did that come out at? Over 10%. So reality is quite different from what the numbers are showing. And uh, if we look at the underpinnings of the uh, stock market, particularly the S&P, to use S&P as the example, what's been driving it? Seven stocks. And those seven stocks uh, technically look to be in a very precarious position. There's some suggestions saying that we could see a huge drop starting in the coming few weeks in the Magnificent Seven. Then if you look at what's happening in the, in the um, S&P banking index, technically that looks horrible. And that really mirrors what one is hearing around the traps as to what really is going on in the banking sector. So um, I think that by the mid this year, if not by April, we will be having a approximately 30% correction across the board in equity markets globally uh, and in base metal markets. I exclude oil because um, we could see quite soon a resurgence in oil prices because of what's happening in the Middle East. And here is another reason to voice caution for the first half of this year. And that is there are ominous, ominous signs that the situation in the Middle East is about to escalate. So you add the two to when that happens, then the Fed will be forced off its platform. And by mid-year, probably in early in the second quarter, we will see the Fed being forced to liquefy the system and to lower interest rates. And the Fed will be followed by all G7 central banks. And that will lead to 
the dollar falling, a resurgence in, uh, in commodity and stock markets, probably by mid-2025, doubling from their low points in the first quarter. That might sound like good news. The problem is inflation will be rising very sharply. Global inflation probably in, in the order of 15%. So the bond market vigilantes will hate this. And that's when you'll see long-term interest rates using the 10-year U.S. Treasury as an example, being well over 10% by the middle of 2025. And what does that do to the global system? It will crash it. So we are back to what we said last time we spoke, Anthony, that from 2025, probably for the next seven-odd years, we will be in a, in a, in a period of rolling recessions, if not depression. Yeah, definitely sounds like, as you said, there's a consistency in uh, sort of what you're currently seeing in the markets uh, and in the economy. Uh, so what will be the catalyst to get to the point of this uh, deflation? Because it sounds like you believe we're going to experience deflation as well as, you know, what will curb the debt? Because I think at the moment, you know, US government is... Two trillion deficit. It seems like they're not. They're just willing to continue to print. Yeah. Well, we first go into roaring inflation, and then the system collapses, and then we have seven odd years of deflation. Asset prices are going to fall sharply. I'm not going to give you numbers, but they're pretty horrific. So. From mid-2024 to mid-2025, you make your money to survive the coming very difficult periods. But make sure you're not the last one on the dance floor when the music stops. Yeah, and I heard you are in your recent interview with Adam Taggart a few months ago, uh, which I very much rejoice enjoyed you were saying literally just liquidate once you get to that point of uh yeah yeah seeing where it's yeah. uh yeah where the music stops yeah. okay yeah no that, that that makes sense um so if we look at this geopolitical risk that we're seeing it's uh yeah as you said it's it's hard to believe that it could escalate since we like we talked in august with the russia ukraine war but since then we've seen israel uh, you know, obviously Palestine. Uh, we've been seeing increasing tensions with Iran, literally just uh, firing missiles at all their neighbors, which is uh, extremely scary. Increasing tensions in China and the US. Do you think this is escalating to the point where we could see a, a global conflict? I think it's almost inevitable that we will see a global conflict sometime after 2025. Um, why do I say that? Uh, it's because, like all previous empires, apart from the British one, where we were sensible enough to negotiate our way out of it, all of other empires ended in war. 
war was their last remaining dice that they could throw. Um, and America, given the policies that the Biden government have been pursuing, they are bound to use their last remaining resource to try to defend their hegemonic status, but it will fail. America's forces, from what I understand, are, uh, you could almost say they're a paper tiger. Um, Russia's military is probably second to none in the world. And if escalation does reach the point of global conflict, which I think it will, then basically you'll have lined up the America plus the G7 countries against Russia, China, Iran, and several other countries. Yes, I guess um, some people might push back and say that China's been economically struggling over the past few years, uh, or specifically the past year. So are they really going to be a threat uh, to the US? Good question. I think China is in a major transition period from an economy based on quantity to one based on quality, i.e. it's shifting away from being the manufacturing hub of low-quality goods to becoming a manufacturing hub of highly sophisticated goods. And then you've got the transition, <clears throat> um, the demographic transition. And you've got this huge income differential between 25% of the population um, who have good incomes to the 800 odd who have average incomes below the national average. And then uh, overriding that, you have a policy led by the, pre the current president of a return to centralization, state control, um, so you're powering up the uh, SOEs at the expense of the private sector. So, yes, um, China's growth over the next, even without a global recession, is not going to be greater than 4% a year, which frankly is double that of the West but much lower than what they've been used to. That said, nothing goes in a straight line. And I think it's very likely that um, a foundation, a fiscal and monetary foundation has been laid 
and that we will see in March some very significant fiscal policies that will spur growth this year, but will probably only last about 12, 18 months. So I'm looking for last year nominal GDP growth, which is a better yardstick to judge the economy than real GDP, because that number is frequently filtered. The nominal GDP last year grew at 4.2%, and I think this year it will grow by around 6%. It does seem like that would be in a uh, similar position to what you're saying, though, where it's very much debt-driven, uh, similar to what we've heard we've seen in the US with, uh, you know, not only the federal Chinese government, but also the uh, councils who have been borrowing and the government-owned companies. So do you think there is China going to be uh, experiencing this sort of depressionary state as well? Well, I think I think what's what, what will go on, the government debt, to GDP is a very low number. And uh, they're going to use government fiscal policy to um, enable local governments to borrow against the central government. And thus, we will see a big major infrastructure spending program coming out in the NPC meeting in March. Okay, so they're going to, yeah, as you said, utilise the uh, load debt the federal government has to help the yeah. the regions. That was what you think is going to happen in the, in the short term, but do you feel like it's on the same trajectory as, I guess, Western economies, or do you think it's a... Yeah, they've got to work, they've got to work through this transition period, which... Um, Providing there are no major internal conflicts, um, they'll get through it step by step. I mean, can't do it overnight. Yeah, makes sense. So if we go back to geopolitical uh, risks we're seeing, do you see, is it going to be BRICS first the world or do you think it's going to be uh, a little bit more nuanced uh, than that? Well, if you go back, to 1991, if not to the end of World War II, the overriding policy of Washington has been to dismember Russia and thus take control of its huge natural resources. That's been an overriding policy. And that's what the Ukraine war was really all about. And now I think they are basically America is going to create a second front to that war by what the vassal state in Israel will do in the Lebanon and into uh, Syria, because Hezbollah is based in, in both countries. So if we see Israel 
heavily bombing Lebanon, more so than it has been doing, that will bring Russia into the war because there is a treaty between Syria and um, Russia. And then you have to understand that a treaty between Israel, uh, sorry, between Iran and Russia is about to be signed. And an important part of that treaty is to protect the sovereignty of both countries. So you can see how the risk of an escalation that brings in not just Russia, but Iran. And if it brings in Iran, it also brings in China. So the risk is is getting bigger and bigger, particularly after there was a a bombing, not by Iran, but by one of Iran's insurgent groups who often operate independently, hitting a American base in Syria, killing three American soldiers and wounding at least 25. How is America going to react? When you hear people like Graham in Congress saying, Iran is our enemy, we must hit them. So all I'm saying is it's not a forecast, but it is a risk of a severe escalation in the Middle East over the coming few weeks. And what impact do you think this would have on, uh, I guess, the economy? If if we look at what it's done to the Red Sea, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is it, 90%? Well, it's quite interesting. Houthis are allowing... Um, Chinese and Russian and uh, Gulf states to use the, to use the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, but have publicly said nothing, no vessel that is aligned with Israel, nor any U.S. or U.K. vessels will be allowed through. So I guess I guess if there's war, it will be further escalation of of this yeah i mean the least that one can say is there will be a significant escalation from what's happening today how big that escalation is going to be is a different story but it is a significant risk yes unfortunately it looks like it and it keeps escalating even you know the heart but past what what everyone's expecting unfortunately um if we look at this period that you talk about in the future of uh you know obviously seven years of depression what assets are going to be seven years of rolling recessions of rolling recessions sorry Um, if not depression (laughs) yeah i don't want to go too far (laughs) too far on it uh what assets do you think are going to perform or is it just going to be sort of similar to what you're saying it's uh you know the traders market where you have to get out before we experience the downturn. Yeah, well, obviously, from middle of this year to the middle of uh, 2025 or around that, 
um, paper acids will perform very well. But if you're preparing for the seven years, you don't want paper assets, you want real assets. And the real assets can be gold, silver, um, food. We're going to go through food shortages for climate reasons. Um, so really, what do you need every day? Food. What do you need when currencies are all over the place? You need gold. So it's hard assets, not paper assets. Okay. And then it sounds like that will be, there'll be periods where that will be a lot more vital than, than sort of other yeah. periods during this time. Okay, great. Now that, that makes sense. So Simon, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, my last question is, what is one message you'd like people to take away from our conversation? Use mid-24 to mid-25 to prepare for a very difficult seven years ahead. Perfect. And is that just, as you said, just preparing for for those periods? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Changing to real assets. That's, that's sort of what you yeah. would say they should do. Is there any, any other uh, preparation they can do, do you think, or should do? <laughs> I leave it to your your listeners because every person is different. But it's basically prepare for the worst. And don't yep. be the last guy on the dance floor when the music stops. Definitely. Worst place to be. So, yeah, Simon, thanks again for your time. If anyone Pleasure. wanted to find out more about your work and what you do, where would the best places for that be? Uh, Simon-hunt.com. Perfect. I'll put that in the description below, but thanks again for your time. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading, and finance. See you on the next show.